Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Thursday, September 14th, 2023. Boy, this week has been flying along. I hope it has been, or it has been for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Um, this is our last daily devotional of the week. However, Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and that will be the start of homecoming and special services here at Old Providence. I've talked about it before, but if you are in our area and you want to be blessed and you want to see. A couple of days ago, we talked about the strengthening of the church and the encouragement of the church by the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear about this firsthand today, right, right now, um, then Come to homecoming, come to special services. Our guest speaker, Reverend Joe Fleming, is going to share stories. He's going to preach the word. He's going to show us what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world around us, um, specifically as it relates to Africa and how the church is growing there. So I know that will be a blessing to you. Oh, and by the way, the meal on Sunday well, it's going to be fabulous. So it'll be right after church Sunday morning. Old Providence people, please bring uh, food and, and food to share with others. Now, um, all of that being said, where do we come to today? Well, we're in Acts chapter 10. Yesterday, we started with a man named Cornelius, and we started talking about who he was, what his background was, different things that were going on. We learned that he's a centurion, which strictly speaking means he's a, a soldier in the Roman army, over 100 men. A lot a lot of times centurions had a lot more men than 100 underneath them it was a it was a dignitary kind of term but nevertheless he is also a god fearer that means that he's a gentile that believes in the god of israel he's a proselyte of judaism but because he's a gentile he's been rejected by the jews okay and so that's the background he he receives this vision an angel comes to him and says Send for this guy named Simon, who's called Peter. He's in Joppa in a man named Simon's house. He's a tanner. The house is close to the sea, you know, just down the list of all the things. Hey, look, the Holy Spirit is specific, okay? So nevertheless, that's where we left off yesterday. And we talked about a lot of the implications of this. If you didn't see yesterday, go back and watch it. But today, we pick up with one of these transition points. Oh, and it's a hot topic. It used to be. This is fairly recent that this is a hot topic, right? I'll, I'll say that differently. 2,000 years ago, boy, this was a major controversy. And then for a long, long time, we, we thought we had hold of this thing. And then somehow, some way, and usually when controversy crops up of this variety, it's when people either don't trust the word of God or have concluded that the word of God is not enough or sometimes, very sadly, that Jesus is not enough and they need a higher plane of spirituality, so they do all sorts of things to achieve it. And sometimes that even means denying yourself pork products and that sort of thing. Now, before you think I'm off my rocker or out of my desk chair, let me pray and then we'll dig in and I'll explain what I'm talking about. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us and again for the history that you give us from the book of Acts, the telling of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the early church that, that informs who we are in so many ways. It informs our, our theology. It explains why we do what we do and how we're structured as the church. But Father, as we come to this portion of the scripture today, 
this portion that was controversial, wasn't controversial, and now is controversial again in some areas. We pray that you would give us understanding. We pray that you would remind us that indeed Jesus is enough. Your word is enough. Being guided by your Holy Spirit is enough. Let us trust in you. Let us understand your word and not reject it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, what am I talking about here with this controversial stuff? Well, where we come to today, we, we talked about Cornelius's vision yesterday in Acts chapter 10 that, that led him to send for Simon Peter, for Peter, right? I told you that Peter was bringing salvation with him. A minor controversy is that there are those that believe that Cornelius is, is saved at this point, that he knows Jesus Christ. If you fast forward to Acts chapter 11, you'll see that that's not true because Peter, when explaining why he's done what he's done, he, he gives us a, a deeper glimpse into a conversation between he and Cornelius that he says Cornelius told him that the, the, that the angel said that the man was coming to bring salvation. Okay, so, so Cornelius is not saved at this point, but that's a, that's a minor controversy. The big controversy, y'all, is in what Peter's vision is going to mean. We can read about Peter's vision, and there are different thoughts on this. I think the meaning is very obvious because the Bible says what it means and means what it says. And in fact, Peter's vision revolves around two major issues. Let's dig in and see what we're talking about here. All right, now, it says about noon the following day as they were on their journey, time out, who's the they, right? The they, go back to Acts chapter 10, verse 7. It says, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called Two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And then he sends them on their way, right? So that's the they right here in verse nine. Reading again. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Again, time out. Pause. We need to talk about something very quickly here. Realize what Peter went onto the roof to do. Peter did not go to, to get in the, you know, what is it, the lotus pose for yoga and to meditate. He wasn't, you know, doing the home kind of thing like that. No. In fact, I would recommend against that heavily. Uh, if you're going to meditate on something, meditate on the word of God, on God's law day and night. But meditating in terms of absolutely emptying your mind and just making yourself wide open to demonic influence listening for your inner self, that kind of thing. The only time you should listen to your inner self is when it is captive to the word of God, okay? This is not an endorsement of Eastern pantheistic monism, um, you know, Eastern religion meditation. That is not what this is. Peter did not go onto the roof to practice Tai Chi or Karate, okay? What did he go up there for? Again, we just read it. At the beginning, at the end of verse nine, Peter went up on the roof to pray. In the midst of this time of prayer, as Peter's hungry, as Peter is waiting, he falls into a trance. Now, this trance that he fell into is not self-induced. That's not what's going on here. Again, this is not Eastern religion, you know, in any way, shape, or form. It's not Buddhism. It's none of these things. 
Peter is not a Buddha, okay? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, gone to pray, and he fell into a trance because the Lord put him there because of what was about to happen, namely his vision. Verse 11, he, Peter, saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and the birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, Pause again. Verse 14 gives us a hint at what Peter's really seeing here. It's not just animals that are being stressed, that, that are being enunciated in this vision. Peter is seeing things that are not kosher. And I don't just mean kosher in terms of strange. I'm, I'm talking about kosher law, right? Go back to the New Testament, read about the kosher dietary laws that Jews had to abide by. It was one of the ways that the Lord set them apart. And I know I hear stuff all the time about, well, it's because God knew what was really good for them and, and what they shouldn't be eating and what they should be eating. And y'all, you could make that argument with swine, right? The modern American pig and pigs around the world, trichnosis is pretty much gone. But there was a time, and even in wild pigs, there really is. There's still parasites in wild pigs. But domesticated pigs, you don't see parasites. That, that's why I love eating pork medium rare. Oh, it's so nice. Melts in your mouth. But, but aside from that, and Longhorn is pretty much the only place that will cook it medium rare for you. Anyway, I always got to keep my guts guessing, right? Got to keep them at, at their fighting speed. But anyway, all of that being said, um, people make the argument that the dietary laws revolved around God knowing what was safe and unsafe for them to eat. So he said, well, you can't eat pigs and you can't eat these things over here. Guys, that's just not the case. Yeah, there were some diseases that pigs had. There were some diseases that other things had too. Um, but why the dietary laws? I, I don't know. I mean, look, there are all sorts of laws about the kind of fish that they could eat. You know, technically speaking, um, Jews could eat sea bass, but they couldn't eat swordfish. Is it because swordfish is dangerous for you to eat? No. I mean, it's got high nutritional value. So it's not, it's not about that. It's the Lord. And some people say it comes down to locomotion, to how animals move. I, I don't know. The Lord used this to set his people apart. That's what's important so that they would stand out against the rest of the world. There is one component though about kosher law. In kosher law, you couldn't eat meat unless it was drained of blood. One of the things that it had to do with was ancient pagan religions believed they gained power from animals' blood. So what they ate was like a form of idolatry. That makes sense, but really and truly, the dietary laws were given to set God's people apart. And what Peter has just seen here in this sheet, and, and, and try to imagine, it's coming down from the skies, it's this massive sheet, right? And it's held by the four corners, I don't know what it's held by, but it contains animals, including those animals that as a Jew, Peter was not allowed to eat. And then he hears this voice, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Now it's fascinating that this is Peter that receives this vision. In typical Peter fashion, Peter responds as Peter. He's the apostle. He's been restored. I get it. I, I'm not saying that this isn't true. I'm not saying his relationship with the Lord isn't what it should be. But his response there 
You know, it's kind of like when Jesus said, uh, hey, I need to wash your feet. Surely not, Lord. Well, this voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He recognized the voice as that of the Lord's. And yet, what does he say to him? Surely not, Lord. In other words, it's almost like Peter saying to God, do you hear what you're saying, God? Are you sure about this, God? And and, and you got to love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters because I'm so much like him. How often do we know better than God? Really? And you may not say that. Well, I've never said to God in a conversation, are you sure, God, or surely not, God? Y'all, you don't have to say it to God in a conversation. If you read his word, if you know what's right and wrong, and you still just do things your own way, it's the same thing as you saying to God, surely not. And you may even have good reasons for it. Peter had a good reason for defying the Lord here. Good reason. What a good reason at all. But in Peter's justification, it was... Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Hmm. So now we see what's rolling through Peter's mind. What's rolling through through Peter's mind is not the fact that he just defied the Lord, but he's proclaimed his innocence. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Hmm. Something fascinating there. It seems like a paradigm shift, doesn't it? Like I said, Acts is full of transitions. But the reality is, is that this is not a transition point in Acts. As it, It's not as much of one... Or let me rephrase that. It's much more of a transition point than it should have been. Because this idea of animals being made clean, it doesn't originate in Acts chapter 10. And it bothers me when people say that it is. Some people say, oh yeah, well now we can eat bacon and shellfish and all these other things because of Acts chapter 10 and Peter's vision. No, no. We can eat what we want because of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 in dealing with the Pharisees. In Mark chapter 7, go ahead and turn there with me. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, okay? And he's dealing, it's this bait and switch thing that they always try to do with him, right? Or they got problems with his disciples or one such thing. But if you look at Acts, or excuse me, Mark 7 verse 14, Mark 7, 14, it says again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Verse 17, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And then in parenthesis, in saying this, pay attention, the end of Mark 7, 19, why can we eat bacon? Why can we enjoy bacon-wrapped shrimp? In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. It's not Acts chapter 10 that gives us the right to eat what we want. It's Jesus in Mark chapter 7 fulfilling God's law. Jesus fulfilled all of God's law perfectly. Now, realize that I'm referring to ceremonial law. 
All the things that Jews were required to do, Jesus did. So we are no longer under these ceremonial laws. For the same reason, if you and I need to go to the Lord, we don't look for an animal to sacrifice. For the same reason, there's not too many times I correct people when they call me something, but if they call me a priest, I correct them. I am not a priest. I am a pastor. I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I am not an intermediary between you and God. Neither is the Pope. Neither is somebody that you would call father. No, there is one mediator and it is Jesus Christ. And because of this, all of the sacrificial laws have been negated, right? They've been done away with because he has fulfilled all of them. That's what is going on here. But apparently Peter didn't get it. Peter and the other disciples. And very clearly, Jesus did this all the way back in Mark chapter seven. And don't tell me, don't tell me that the parenthesis was added later. I've had this discussion with people that believe they need to follow the dietary laws. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that was added later. Well, it's not because I'm looking at the Greek right now. Katharazon panta, purifying all. Obviously, the parenthesis wasn't in there in the Greek. It was added for the sake of our reading, right, for us to understand how that verse is reading, because otherwise it wouldn't make sense to us. But there is no parenthesis. It just simply says in the Greek that he was purifying all the bromata, all the food, okay? Katharazon pantata bromata, purifying all the food. Mark chapter 7, verse 19. So, What's the controversy here? Now, you might be saying, what? No, there was a controversy. And if that's so, that's great. I'm, I'm happy for you. But y'all, this is a controversy. In modern day Christianity, there are entire groups of people now that are starting to embrace Old Testament law. Why? I do not know. Again, I can tell you my suspicion and some of the things I've learned is that sometimes God's word is not enough for people. Or they think that they need to find some higher plane of spirituality. And so they resort to legalism. In other words, they add things to God's word to make them feel better about who they are. Pharisees did it all the time, right? It made them feel more holy. It made them feel more connected to God. Y'all, God's word is enough. In fact, it, it, it's the one who is strong in Jesus Christ, according to Romans, um, that simply takes God's word for what it is. Now, um, if you're unaware of this controversy, great. It, it, but I'm warning you now. If you ever fall in with a group of people that say, well, you can't eat certain things, you can't eat this, you can't do that, we have to follow these feasts, that kind of thing, there is allowance made for that in the New Testament. But realize that's a transitional period and realize that those who add these requirements to God's word often are not treated well. In fact, there's an entire book called Galatians written to, to, to the church in Galatia about people that they were called Judaizers. Um, that, that came to him and said, hey, you want to be Christians? Great. You got to be Jews too. And you got to be Jews first. So that means your men have to be circumcised. That means you have to follow the dietary laws. It means you got to follow the feast. You got to do this. You got to do that. In other words, you got to work your way to Jesus. You got to be a Jew first. Read the book of Galatians sometime and see Paul's reaction to that. The men that insisted on circumcision. In fact, if you read Galatians, you'll see that Paul gets so angry. And by the way, this is God's word. So God, through Paul, gets so angry. He says, hey, you're obsessed with circumcision. Why don't you go ahead and start circumcising yourself and don't stop. Just keep on cutting. 
That's how angry Paul was at this idea, this rationale that they employed, okay? Um, and that's cropping up today. It's popping up all over the place in, in modern American Christianity where people believe they have to follow the dietary laws. Yet very clearly what we've seen is this voice. A voice said to him, verse 13, Acts chapter 9, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, surely not. The voice speaks to him a second time and says, do not call anything impure that God has called clean. What this is, is it's an issue of faith. It's faith in action. This is a calling from God. And interestingly enough, verse 16, this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And very interestingly, verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon was known as who was known as Peter was staying there. Now, this is where we're going to pick up tomorrow, or excuse me, I should say Monday because we are out of time today. But we get a glimpse here that this vision that he has is not just about the food that you eat. Because remember, according to Jews, you had food that was clean and unclean. But didn't we just meet Cornelius, who was a God-fearer? a proselyte of Judaism, but was rejected by Jews. Why? Because he's a Gentile and because he's unclean. So you see that there's actually two meanings to this vision, really, that Peter has. And a third meaning, perhaps, that we'll get into when we actually get to it. But the first meaning is clear. Don't call unclean what God has called clean. Don't get into this business of legalism. Do not add to God's word. You know, all the time we talk about people that take away from God's word and you say, what is wrong with people? How do they not realize that God's word clearly forbids this? But y'all, what's worse? Taking away from God's word or adding to it? The answer is yes. <laughs> they're, they're both worse. You know, we contend with people that try to take away from God's word all the time. And yet, who did Jesus contend with? The Pharisees, who sought to add to God's word, that reduced faith and trust and love for Jesus Christ to a checklist that, that needed to be followed, where they said, okay, I got this done, and this done, and this done, and this done. I must be right with the Lord. Coming up with something arbitrary. Don't fall for this stuff, y'all. That's the first meaning. Don't call unclean what the Lord has called clean. The second meaning that we're really going to focus on next is there's no such thing as an unclean person either. We're all just people in need of grace. If you have received that grace, be grateful and live in that freedom. Remember what the scripture says. It's for freedom that the Son of Man has set you free. And if Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. So go out and eat a BLT if you want to, right? But at the same time, don't look down on other people. Don't treat other people as unclean. Um, we'll get into that more. But if you don't know Jesus, and you know you don't know Jesus, we need to talk. So reach out and we will. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And I pray your blessings on everybody here. Um, let us take you at your word. Your word is so clear, whether it's what Jesus said in Mark 7 or here as we've read in Acts chapter 10. There is no way to mistake it, and yet we do. Let us trust you instead. Please work in our hearts to this end. And if any here do not know you, please work in their hearts 
And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow or keep saying that. We'll be back Monday at 6 a.m. and Lord willing, Sunday. But again, if you are in our area, we would love to have you. I would love to meet you. Um, I know it will be a profound blessing. Until then, have a great weekend.